in the last 10 years, we've seen interest rates go up. We've seen them go down. Uh, credit spreads have widened and they've tightened. Uh, but there's always something in Zag that, that always tends to be working. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. It's been an interesting week in the markets, with tech stocks under pressure on one hand and bond yields rising to pre-COVID levels on the other. In today's episode, Portfolio Managers Alfred Lee, Chris Heeks, and your host Mark Rays discuss strategies for investors to stay rooted in long-term growth while building exposures to capture short- to mid-term opportunities. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO Global Asset Management Canada weekly ETF call, our call with our portfolio managers where we go over ETF insights, market updates, and trade ideas about uh, how you can best utilize ETFs in the portfolio. I'm your host, Mark Rays. I'm the head of product for BMOGAM Canada covering ETFs and funds. We're joined today by Chris Heeks and Alfred Lee. Chris is a portfolio manager on our ETF desk focusing on equity and derivative strategies, while Alfred focuses on fixed income and preferred shares. So the biggest news in ETFs globally uh, over the last week has occurred right here in Canada, with the first Bitcoin ETF grabbing attention around the world. Uh, And here in Canada, a number of other listings uh, probably coming right behind it uh, via the TSX. We've all seen the recent price activity on Bitcoin, uh, which has had lots of volatility, certainly has shot up. Uh, it's come down actually 10 to 15% since, uh, since the first listing here. Uh, but for those that are a little less adventurous, from the BMO shelf, we recently brought out our suite of innovation ETFs, which of course includes ZFIN, which is focused on fintech innovation. Can you speak to that ETF? and how it provides exposure to digital currencies. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And, you know, I'd say that thematic investing is something that, you know, we're quite excited about with our, you know, recent launch in the thematic products, including the ZFIN, the FinTech one. You know, I think, you know, when we were approaching this, um, you know, challenge of how to best gain exposure, we wanted to do something that fit our DNA. And, you know, one of the things that I think fits the BMO DNA is controlling the volatility and the risk profile for investors. So certainly, you know, there's, there's things that are exciting out there. Bitcoin is certainly one of them. But, um, you know, we do want to control and make sure we have kind of robustly created solutions. When I think about how we created these thematic portfolios, I think we're, we're very in line with that. You know, they're well-diversified portfolios. Uh, there's a high number of names. Zedfin has over 150. There's a 5% security cap. And, um, you know, uh, in addition to that, we tilt back to the market uh, market cap. So it's kind of a market cap tilt structure. Um, and, you know, overall, what that gives for investors is just you, you get exposure to the theme of, you know, fintech. But, you know, you're within a framework of robust, diversified construction. And I would say also a disciplined, rules-based 
um, index-based construction, which I think is beneficial to take, you know, the emotions out of investing. So, you know, if you look at the way we structured it in our fintech, you know, we can reduce a lot of the security-specific risk um, that sometimes you see in more concentrated portfolios. You know, in terms of Zenfin and, and, and the, um, you know, digital currency exposure, you know, a lot of the a lot of the weight does go there in this portfolio. So the sub theme of blockchain technologies is about 20% of the portfolio. You know, a couple of the other big sub themes you're going to find in this fund are are digital platforms as well as digital payment technologies, your PayPal's of the world. Um, and in the digital platforms, you have your Amazon's, um, Alibaba, as well. Um, so you know, when it, when we look at it, there is a pretty good chunk of um, you know, exposure to blockchain technologies, about 20%. It's something that's going to evolve with the market. So as Bitcoin and related technologies become more um, more widespread, you know, should that happen, you know, that will be reflected into the ETF as we as we update and rebalance um, on an ongoing basis. So, you know, overall, I think it's, it's, you know, we're looking to launch with thematic, you know, exposure to long-term themes that we think are going to um, have that ability to outperform. We think fintech is certainly one of them. And, um, you know, the whole idea with the fund is getting exposure to the theme, but in a, in a, in a portfolio that's robustly uh, built and, you know, controls that volatility at a portfolio level, which is pretty important in this space. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Certainly a, a new and interesting ETF. And, and for those that want the exposure, but want a little bit more discipline and perhaps diversification, I think that's a great uh, new product to be looking at ZFIN. So let's now turn to the markets themselves. Uh, we've seen the top kind of come off valuations over the last couple of weeks. And certainly, we've been on a pretty steady grind ahead before that. Uh, looking at the NASDAQ 100 with our ZNQ ETF, what do you see as driving that dip? And do you view this as more of a buying opportunity or proof to focus on defensive equity in your core, like our quality ETFs? Thanks. Thanks. And, you know, we're sticking with that technology. I think my answer is going to be a bit of both. You know, I do like do like the quality ETFs. Also, we like technology as a long-term theme, and I think that's part of the reason behind the thematic ETFs. But, you know, in terms of the recent price action, you know, we saw this in September and October with the NASDAQ. There's a 10%, you know, 10 to 12% corrective kind of breather in the market. You know, I think it's a healthy healthy consolidation. You know, I think to just see markets go up with, without going down at all is, is probably not the healthiest thing in the long term. Um, we know that markets have to uh, catch their breath. And, and, you know, I think that's what's happening uh, with the NASDAQ right now. If you look at kind of the, the recent performance, we're down about 5% on the ZNQ. Uh, the quality is down 3 You know, the innovation ETF, which would be kind of a more aggressive technology exposure, is down 7 So, um you know, again, we saw this, like I mentioned in the fall, with ZUQ, our quality ETF. Um, it's got, it has a tech overweight, but in, in markets where we're seeing this kind of consolidation being leveraged, or not leveraged is the wrong word, having exposure to um, fundamentally strong tech companies uh, has the benefit. So we're seeing quality um, outperform um, in this this recent trading. But, you know, I think, you know, there's there's kind of two ways to look at it. There's a trading point of view. There's a long-term investment point of view, you know, and then from a long-term investment point of view, which I think is an easier um, question to address, um, we can feel very confident in technology as a theme. And I think we've got some great solutions to get exposure to it. So, you know, I think the quality is a very, very good one where you have broad sectors, 
you know, there's a tech overweight, but again, you're in those fundamentally strong tech names. You know, I think that's a great anchor and core for a, for us equities. Um, then we have the NASDAQ, you know, I'm, you know, and, and we're still believers in technology. So NASDAQ is, you know, you're a dial up on the risk spectrum, more technology exposure. And then we have something like the ZINN, the, the recently launched innovation um, and the other thematics like ZDIN, which, which dial it up even a little bit more. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of solutions out there. I think it's, um, you know, you know, there's a, there's a lot of ways to play it, but, um, you know, we, we are believers in the technology theme, you know, in terms of the trading aspect, I think, you know, there's a lot of things still working for technology, um, over the next couple months, you know, there's going to be stimulus coming, you know, I think this movement to the quote unquote new economy and the work from home, you know, that a portion of that is here to stay, um, you know, some of it may be unwound this year, but a portion of that is here to stay. And, and as I mentioned, there's a long-term secular trend. You know, on the on the on the uh, con side, you know, valuation has increased in the Nasdaq, and fundamentals um, in some companies' cases, you know, are stretched. So, you know, I think each investor has to have their own outlook on the market and sense of how much risk they want to take. Um, for me, I'm very comfortable with the quality, where I have that overweight to tech but I have it in fundamentally solid tech. Um, you know, I think, I think investors should be maybe a little bit careful with some companies where the valuations might be a little more stretched. Uh, but, but finally, you know, buy on weakness. We always hear that term in, in the industry, buy on weakness. So I think it's, you know, just like September and October, you know, was, was a weak moment in this kind of in the NASDAQ, you know, provided a great opportunity. And we're, you know, in, in terms of the lows in September, we're, we're good kind of, it was 15% at least ahead of where that was, even even in the past six months. So I think it, it's something investors should be looking to uh, either opportunities. And you definitely want to have, I think, tech exposure, just given the long-term secular, secular trend. And, you know, there's a few different ways to play it. But I, I wouldn't commit to just one. You know, I think it'll depend on each investor how much risk they want to take. You know, I would say, Mark, just as a final comment, I'm sorry, I'm going on a bit long here, but uh, the ZINN, you know, I bought that off the launch, the MSCI Innovation. I put it in my RSP, and I plan to hold it for 20 years. So when you take that long-term investment approach and say, well, you know, I don't really care too much about the prices. I believe in the theme. I believe in the story. I'm just going to put it in my account now, and, and, and I'll look at it in 20 years. You know, I think when you can take that kind of outlook um, to your portfolio, you know, you can have some good outcomes in terms of what you can, what you can buy and, and kind of reduce the short-term noise a bit. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. I'm a bit surprised you're telling us all about your RSP, but I'll, I'll have to ask you what else is on there off the call and get some great ideas from you. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> let's, let's switch gears here and have a look at fixed income. Um, we're seeing a continuation of the story we discussed last week. 10-year yields have now moved uh, through 120. Um, what's causing this quick move? And do you uh, do you see a ceiling on this current activity? Um, you know, you could probably tie that into thoughts around further activity or not by the central banks. And is this the beginning of what we could consider the normalization of rates? Alfred, I'll give that one over to you. Thanks. Sure. Thanks, Mark. Uh, we're certainly seeing more of the same this morning as well. So if you look at the Canadian tenure, uh, it's trading above 1.3% this morning. Um, so it's pretty much you know, pretty close to pre-COVID levels here. But, you know, in my opinion, I think everything is trading off the U.S. yield curve at this at this point. 
uh, really the real driver of the market from everything from, you know, global bonds to global equities. Uh, the U.S. 10-year this morning is trading above 1.4%. So, again, you know, that's pre-COVID levels. Uh, the last time we've seen yields as high in the 10-year mark uh, was basically February 2020, so right before the outbreak of COVID. Um, but overall, in terms of, you know, why we've seen yields um, really tick up in the last couple of weeks is <clears throat> really because of threefold. I think, one, uh, there's that inflation and reflation trade that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. But in addition to that, I think there's, you know, expectations of a global economic rebound as well. Uh, that's been a big, big part of it as well. Bank of America, for example, uh, recently revised their U.S. GDP expectations for this year uh, from 6% to 6.5%. Uh, that's largely based on, you know, the, the uh, you know vaccine uh, distribution. Uh, if the economy were to get, you know, largely vaccinated, uh, we're probably going to see a lot more spending at the, you know, in the second half of the year. Uh, it's probably going to be, you know, higher than the normalized rate. Uh, there's good indication that that theory could be true. So if you look at U.S. retail sales, for example, uh, we saw a surge in January. So you can only expect that, you know, if the economy fully opens up. Uh, a lot of people are going to be making up for a lot, uh, lost time. Uh, last but not least, uh, you know, the reason why yields have been really taking up is because of central bank activity. So if you look at the Fed and other central banks around the world, uh, they've been keeping their overnight rate, you know, essentially near zero. So that, that encourages people not to be in cash. Um, you know, central bank policies overall, I think, have been very positive for risk assets. So equities and credit markets. Um, so people have been rotating into equities, you know, for the last five to six months. It's really ticked up since, you know, after that Pfizer news as well. So, you know, as bond yields have moved up, uh, that, for, that further enforces people to rotate into equities as well. So it almost creates this, you know, vicious, vicious cycle of, you know, bond yields moving up and people rotating into equities. Uh, but in terms of a ceiling, uh, I think there definitely is a ceiling. So if you look at the difference between, you know, the 10-year yield and the two-year yield in the U.S., that spread never typically gets wider than 260 basis points. So if you look at where the two-year yield is trading right now, it's flat at about you know 10 basis points. You could expect that it's probably going to remain at that level over the next you know year, year and a half, given that the Fed has you know all but verbally committed that they're going to keep their overnight rate pretty much steady for the next you know year, two years. Uh, so that means the ceiling is about you know 270 basis points. That's the that's the 10 beeps plus the 260 uh, basis point spread. I would say that's the theoretical ceiling if things were to be left unchecked. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. I don't, I don't think you know yields are going to move up that high. Uh, the reason why is because if you see the 10-year yield move up from this point, uh, people are going to rotate back into bonds. If they see a yield above a certain level, they're probably going to take risk off the table and go into a less risky asset. And the Fed definitely doesn't want that at this point. Uh, so at some point, you know, we've been calling that the Fed probably does an operation twist. Uh, if yields move up too quickly. Um, so theoretically, you know, the Fed could even, if the economy continues to to reopen and the economy continues to to improve, uh, you could definitely expect uh, the Fed can taper and, and do a twist simultaneously where they can you know, reduce their asset purchase program and, and at the same time uh, reduce the buying on the short end of the curve and do more buying on the long end of the curve so they could reduce the QE and flatten the yield curve at, at the same time. So uh, there definitely is a ceiling, but in terms of you know further central bank activity, uh, they're you know obviously not going to add to QE. But if the economy continues to improve, they could taper uh, and still encourage risk taking even even when tapering. So they do, they do still have 
uh, a lot of tools in their toolkit, uh, even if they were to reduce their asset purchase programs. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our Deep Dive episodes, where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 58 in this same podcast series, where we take a deeper look at BMO's suite of innovation ETFs, which build on megatrends like clean energy, fintech, genomics, autonomous technology, and next-generation internet. Fascinating themes with long-term exponential growth potential. You know, if we continue this uh, fixed income story a little bit further, then uh, for those yield seeking clients out there, maybe them being a little bit more hesitant um, around around term, but still maintaining that core position like we talked about last week and aggregate bonds via something like our ZAG, how would you consider supplementing that with less curve sensitive ETS? Thanks. Um, that's a good question because I think a lot of people are looking to, you know, how to diversify a core bond portfolio at this point. Um, I certainly wouldn't abandon Zag altogether. I think, um, you know, if you want to reallocate some of that position, I think that definitely makes sense at this point. Uh, but in terms of less curve sensitive areas, um, you know, if you look at credit, I think investors have to be a little bit selective at this point. Uh, we've seen a lot of headlines this week about, you know, asset managers, BlackRock, uh, their active managers, for example, saying that, because they're becoming more bearish on, on credit this week. Uh, we've been saying that for quite some time. Uh, since the beginning of the year, we've been saying that, you know, high yield looks, you know, overvalued at this point. We don't think that it, you know, if you look at the spread levels in high yield, trading at about 290 basis points right now, um, you know, we don't think that properly reflects the risk in that kind of market right now. Uh, if you look at spread compression opportunities in markets like Canadian Triple B, for example, um, I think there's, you know, more opportunities in that space. So ZBBB, which is our triple B ETF, uh, is a good way to get exposure to Canadian corporate bonds, but concentrating specifically on that you know, triple B segment of the market. I think that's a good way to get exposure uh, where there is spread compression opportunities, but you get you know, the diversification benefits and the liquidity benefits of an ETF as well. Uh, emerging market bonds, we've, we've talked about that in the last couple of calls as well. Uh, that's a good way to get uh, additional yield. So those in, those investors that are willing to take a little bit more risk in, in fixed income, uh, that's a good way to get additional yield, uh, as well as, you know, potential spread compression opportunities as, as well. And, and, you know, we think if you look at the fundamental backdrop of of uh, emerging market bonds, uh, definitely more attractive than, than high yield at this point. But, you know, all those are, I would say, those are more kind of peripheral trades. Um, I think overall, if you look at Zag, I, I, think, I think it still makes a great core. So if you look at Zag over the last 10 years, over the you know the Morningstar uh, universe, the Canadian bond universe, for example, uh, Zag has been you know a top performer, uh, first quartile or second quartile, uh, second quartile performer uh, in every calendar year except for 2012, where it just barely missed. Uh, so if you look at the you know the Zag uh, from the context of our three by three matrix, which is you know term and credit, uh, there's always something within Zag that that works, right? So in the last two years. In the last 10 years, we've seen interest rates go up. We've seen them go down. Uh, credit spreads have widened and they've tightened. Uh, but there's always something in Zag that, that always tends to be working. So uh, we certainly like credit at this point and, and, and you know, areas within inflation. But as I said, you, know, you have to be a little bit selective in, in terms of credit. Uh, but overall, I would say you know, you know, there's no need to, to abandon duration exposure entirely at this point. 
you know, there's a lot of perfection priced into the market. Uh, so Zag is a good way to offset that equity risk. So if you look at PE ratios, they are pretty rich, and it's really dependent on, you know, whether earnings could really catch up with those prices uh, if we do get an economic reopening. So duration is a good way to hedge that bet. Uh, we do believe that equities are going to outperform, but, you know, that duration exposure is a good way to hedge that uh, risk in the equity side of your portfolio. So, you know, pairing something with Zag, like with, um, you know, B, ZEF, or ZTIP, um, I think is, you know, it's a good way to play the fixed income market right now. Thanks, Alfred. Yeah, I think it's critical to maintain that discipline core exposure, but for those seeking for a little more yield, I'm hearing perhaps not going as far out as high yield, but but getting uh, something like our triple B exposure to to add some credit and yield to the portfolio as a satellite. Uh, another one that I have, I'll come back to you, Chris. Uh, can you give us an update on Canadian banks where we've seen strong earnings start to come out led by BMO? With the most recent surge in the, in the bank valuations, we are finally nearing uh, our previous market highs. Is this just a case of recovery and reduction of loss provisions, or are you seeing something else which which leads to strong growth opportunities? Thanks. Yeah, thanks. And uh, we are now um, we are now at the, the all-time market high for ZEB, you know, our equally weighted bank ETF. Um, let me run through run through a couple of thoughts, but you know, I think the conclusion is going to be still a solid place to be, and I think the wind is still at their back. You know, for us, it's not as a conviction. I wouldn't say it's a significant overweight call at this point, but I think it's still an overweight call. So if you look at the earnings, um, four of the six banks have come out um, uh, to yesterday, to today. You know, the overall themes is, number one, less lower PCL, so the provision for provision for non-performing loans uh, are lower than expected. Um, you know, so this reflects credit risk um, having decreased in the market. Certainly, there's a benefit from stimulus there, both fiscal and monetary. Um, you know, as a result, commercial banking is pretty strong. Retail banking, solid. Uh, one thing we've noticed, um, you know, since there's been volatility in the market, is this has been beneficial for capital markets trading revenue. So you're seeing strong trading revenues, and and last but not least, you know, wealth management. You know, the the sub industry, uh, you know, where we where we where we uh, kind of make our hay. You know, it's pretty strong because, you know, the market recovery is certainly aiding in that. So, you know, a lot of things are working well for the banks. If you look at the four who've reported, the average beat uh, on earnings is in the low 20% per share. Uh, BMO, yes, as you noted, Mark, uh, has, has had the highest beat at 26%. So certainly nice to see that. Um, no bias at all, right? But, um, you know, very strong beat. So, you know, what you're seeing is, is the banks have dug out of COVID that COVID related sell-off where they underperformed very, very nicely. Again, certainly aided by, you know, the, the stimulus that's been in place, um, you know, and, and then just to fur- further add to it, you know, there's, there's increasingly speculation of dividends being increased this year. You know, the dividends went on um, uh, a pause, you know, we did not cut any dividends and on the big six banks, you know, much like in 2008, no dividends were cut. Uh, but there's increasingly speculation of, you know, that dividend growth being, um, you know, being able to increase dividends this year again and getting back on that track of dividend growth, which, again, is going to be well received by investors. So, um, yeah, a lot of good things happening. Um, you know, and as mentioned, we, you know, I I still like them, you know, ZEB and ZWB, the covered call, you know, with the more income focused play on the banks. 
Um, you know, again, there's solid momentum. Um, the businesses uh, in general are recovering. You know, the reopening trade um, that we're cautiously optimistic is, is proceeding. We've got three and a half million vaccine doses due in March for Canada, which is great news. Um, as Alfred mentioned, the interest rate curves, they're steepening. But, you know, the messaging from the, from the central banks is, you know, they're going to let it get a little bit hotter for a while before they put the brakes on. So they're not looking to pour cold water on anything just yet. You know, we want to get a solid recovery underway. So I think that's a little bit down the road. And, and you know, as a result, I think, um, you know, I, I still think it makes sense to have that overweight position there. So, yeah, things are looking good as continuing to, to own Canadian banks. Very good quarter. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. At this point, I would like to check if there are questions on the line. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, there's a lot of talk and data showing some resurgence in the inflation. Um, which percentage uh, of the fixed income should be allocated to something like uh, the Z-tip, the U.S. Uh, tips, and ZRR, the real return bond? And is gold is also a good way to hedge the inflation? Thank you. Sure, I, I could take that one. But, uh, you know, it's, I think there's two ways to play it in the portfolio. Um, we have uh, two inflation-protected products. So we, we recently launched the Z-TIP, uh, which is a short-term U.S. TIP uh, ETF. That's a good way to play it if you don't, if you already own um, a core position in, in ZAG, for example, if you already have the duration exposure. Uh, this is a good way to complement that fixed income exposure. Uh, ZRR is another way to play it as well. So I think this makes more sense if you don't already have duration exposure, uh, given that you know most of the real return bonds in Canada do have a very long duration. Um, so you're, you know you get that duration exposure and that inflation protection with ZRR, whereas ZTIF, you just get that inflation component. So it's far more complementary. Uh, but I would say, you know, in, in the portfolio, I would say at this point, I think, you know, three to 5% in either ZRR or uh, ZTIP, I think, is um, probably justified at this point to offset some of that duration risk. Uh, but in terms of gold, that, that's a good way to hedge inflation in, in, your, uh, in your portfolio as well. I would say it's, it's more of a multi-purpose hedge. Um, you know, for gold, I would say it's, it's a hedge against many things. It's a hedge against you know, declining U.S. dollar, uh, macroeconomic risk, and also inflation as well. So that's a good way to get uh, some inflation protection in the equity side of your portfolio. Good morning. Um, quick question on preferred shares. Um, uh, preferreds have uh, uh, traditionally been a good diversifier for portfolios. Are you still seeing preferred shares um, as a good allocation for a, for a Canadian portfolio from a yield perspective? Thank you. Yeah, so uh, in terms of uh, preferred shares, still a very good uh, portfolio diversifier. Uh, if you look at the correlation rates, very low to you know, Canadian bonds and equity markets in general. So, you know, as a portfolio construction piece, still makes a lot of sense. Uh, but I would say at this point, it makes even more sense because if you look at, you know, as we commented, interest rates continue to tick up at this point. So uh, something like rate resets is a good way to offset that, you know, rising rate risk in, in a traditional fixed income portfolio, but, you know, your overall portfolio as well. Um, so it makes a lot of sense right now. And, and you know, structurally, I think, um, you know, one thing that we've been commenting over the last couple of months is that uh, the launch of these AT1 bonds or you know, LRCN bonds has fundamentally changed, you know, the dynamics in the uh, Canadian preferred share market where 
a lot of these Canadian banks will be issuing these bonds in order to redeem uh, the outstanding preferred share. So that effectively you know, removes a lot of the downside risk with a lot of the uh, Canadian bank issues. And we see, we've seen a lot of issues in uh, the insurance companies as well. So that effectively removes a lot of the downside rate risk with um, the insurance companies and the bank issuers. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. We appreciate your time. Thanks for listening in. And thanks, of course, for those questions. As well, thanks to both Chris and Alfred. Really appreciate your insights, uh, your tips, uh, your views on the market and what's going on in the ETF marketplace. All very valuable for us to take back to our own conversations. And with that, just want to thank everyone one last time and have a great day. Thank you to Alfred Lee, Chris Heeks, and Mark Rays for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard our experts highlight the importance of defensive growth through quality, such as ticker ZUQ, the BMO MSCI USA High Quality Index ETF. Within fixed income, investors can build additional yield with investment-grade corporate bonds, ticker ZBBB, or the Emerging Markets Bond ETF, ticker ZEF. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.